This morning's reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at the evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. 
You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep the service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. This is the word of the Lord. As a reminder, we're going to be going through each uh, book of the Bible each week. So uh, this week it's Exodus, last week Genesis, um, uh, next week uh, Deuteronomy. So just all you want to do, um, just, sorry, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. <laughs> Uh, last week, I didn't say which book to read for the following week, and some people thought, and it's, it should be assumed, so whatever the next book is, read the next book. Um, so inside your bulletin, we'll tell you they're coming up in, in order, um, and I encourage you. Uh, so what we're trying to do is, in each, each book, uh, try to s- find a place where it kind of sums up what that book is trying to say, but we encourage you uh, to read, as you read the book, throughout the week, uh, go home after the sermon and say, I, I, I might have picked this passage or that passage, discuss why you thought a different passage might have been something you would have liked to hear on, but we're trying to, again, uh, what we're trying to do is what we think uh, sums up that particular book very well. And today what we're looking at a little bit is how do we, you know, how do we remember, how do we forget things? Uh, I always think it's kind of funny. One thing I constantly seem to keep forgetting is uh, there are times on Sundays where after the second service is over, I'm very hungry and I have an event going on just very shortly after the second service is over. So I only have a short time to get something to eat. And uh, some people avoid fast food, but sometimes it's all you can do. And so right about that time, I, my stomach will say, I could really go for a chicken sandwich. Um, and so I'll, I'll go straight to Chick-fil-A and I'll pull in and I'll be like, yes, there's no line at the Chick-fil-A. And then I'll pull in and I'm like, oh, it's a closed sign. I forgot they're closed on Sunday. Uh, uh, or sometimes you forget things even a little more important. I remember uh, right when I was coming back from London, uh, having done the church work in London, uh, I was coming back, was in Seattle visiting our family, and uh, I had set up a job interview with someone from a church, a, commi- a committee member from a church in the Seattle area. Uh, it was a late morning uh, coffee meeting. I was supposed to meet at 10.30, about an hour, the meeting was about an hour and a half away, and at 10.45, I got a phone call waking me up from a deep nap. Um, and said, where are you? And I said, I'm an hour and a half away. Um, the rest of that meeting did not go well. <laughs> uh, that's how we forget. What, what about how we try to remember things? Uh, think about 4th of July. When we try to remember gaining our independence, uh, it seems like what we like to celebrate is by car, deal set, car dealership sales and loud fireworks. Uh, and we want to remember more, we do more fireworks. That's kind of how, remember, just yesterday I had to go stop by a a convenience store, uh, uh, pharmacy store, and there were tons of uh, men in there buying uh, flowers and chocolates for their significant others. And I was thinking, I wonder if, if remembering to do this actually means remembering what the point of the Hallmark holiday is all about. Um, what is it we're, we're trying to do? The, the big question we're, we're asking today is how do you remember the most important event of your entire life. This uh, moment in Exodus, last week we talked about Genesis chapter 1, is, is such a uh, monumentally important passage that we had to preach on Genesis 1. There's nothing like it in all of existence. Uh, and today what we're going to be looking at, again, the, the, the moment 
um, that all the Old Testament keeps pointing towards is the moment when the people of God left Egypt. So aside from creation, this is the second most important event um, in the Old Testament. But how do we remember these important events? Because forgetting them is a cause of so much pain and sorrow. Sin causes us to forget these things. Just look at Exodus chapter 32. A short time after, they saw God perform miracles and pulled them out. They forgot who God was and literally built an idol in the form of a golden calf. This is a problem we all have. And that's what we're going to look at today. What to do about spiritual amnesia. How to address it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that through their parents, through the members of the church, and especially through the teachers this morning, not a single child would know a day without you as their Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask that in the morning here in this service, through your word, we would die to ourselves, become more alive to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So if I were to, to sum up my own words for, for what Exodus is, you have the, the event itself, the, the people of God being taken out of the hand of Pharaoh and, and coming out. And, and that right there, I'd sum up that, that particular event as, as God rules. God is showing, if you read that passage, God is showing that he rules over nature, that he rules over all the other gods, that there are no other gods, and that he rules over man's heart as well. He is showing in those passages, those chapters, he rules over all of it. If you look at the book of Exodus, and again, if you haven't read it, you still have time. You can do it whenever you want. Um, but to sum up all of Exodus, I put it into three chunks. The first one is that God is delivering his people. The second one, and that God is disclosing to his people. Again, he's revealing his word, his law to them. And then it ends with God dwelling with his people in the tabernacle. If I were to sum up how the whole book of Exodus plays together, that would be it. So now let's look at uh, this passage we're going to focus on today. So the first question we're not addressing is what is, what is happening? And Exodus 1, uh, 1 through, Exodus 12, 1 through 2, we're going to look at right now. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Uh, what is this talking about? Well, I, I, I a couple, couple decades ago, I was a youth pastor at our, the little country church in Southern Virginia, and uh, we were going on a trip, and someone had brought a friend, and she wasn't acting up in any bad way, but she was kind of, you know, kind of getting a little, a little loud, and one of our leaders who uh, was a farmer guy who knew, knew every family in the whole area um, uh, looked at her, and instead of saying, who are you, because he didn't really know who I was, he goes, what he asked her I thought was funny was, he goes, who do you belong to? And uh, he wanted to know what her family was, who her family was, because he knew all the families. And so as soon as she said who her parents were, he's like, okay, I got it figured out now. I know you. I know you. I know your parents. Now I know you a little bit better. What he was trying to ascertain from her was where does she come from? And what we're seeing here in this beginning of passage, what, what he's saying here in Exodus 12, 1 through 2, is something just as fantastic and wonderful. See, what's happening is they were identified themselves and by the people around them as slaves for 400 years, slaves. And now they're going to no longer be identified as slaves, but a people chosen by the king, chosen by God, slaves no more. This event is so monumentally life-altering and changing 
that I love what Moses is telling him. He's saying to them, listen, what's going to happen here is this event, what's going to happen, this is the night before that God's going to pass over. The day before, he said, this, what's going to happen is so amazing that you are going to readjust your calendars by it. This month will be the beginning of the month. This is going to be the beginning of the year. Whatever calendar you were following beforehand, we're not going to use that anymore. What we're using now is this is the beginning. Why? Because this is the beginning of you no longer being people who are slaves, but people who are free. In the New Testament era, we took the same practice as found here in Exodus. When the, the synagogues used to worship on Saturdays, well, Jesus Christ rose on a Sunday, and they said, you know what? That event is big. That is the biggest event to ever happen in the history aside of God creating everything. This is pretty much the most important event in the history of history. We're going to start worshiping on Sundays now. We need to readjust the way we worship to reflect that something has happened. And the people of God are being told the same exact thing right here. Something so big is happening that we're going to consider this as your starting point. This is your beginning. And the message of Christ is all about understanding the new beginnings he gives us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a wonderful passage everyone should know, Christian and non-Christian should know what Christ is offering. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Behold, the old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. This passage is talking about when, when Christ has called our hearts, we come to faith in him, everything changes. The way we view ourselves is new. We are new creation. The way we view others is different because we're a new creation. The way we view God is different because he is a new creation. Everything has changed because he has come and made us new. So the idea that something amazing and wonderful happens changes how you start, how you look at everything. And we're seeing that right here. They, don't have a, they can't really fathom the magnitude of what's about to happen. But Moses is saying, guess what? It's going to be so big that we're starting now. We're starting today as the new year. This is it. We now consider this. Imagine something that life-altering happening. We have those events happen, both good and bad. We mark our lives by those events. And Moses is saying something good's about to happen. Let's change our calendar to reflect that. So what is happening in verses 12, 1 and true? They are becoming a people. They are becoming a special, special people. So the first question I want to ask us, like my old youth leader asked, volunteer asked, who do you belong to? Now, the next part, verses, uh, three, verses 3 through 20, are really addressing a next question is, what are they to do? So Moses says something great's about to happen. Now they're trying to figure out what are they going to do. And to sum it up in a very simple, simple way, what they need to do is trust in a lamb. They have to put trust in this lamb. That somehow a lamb, the blood of a lamb, is going to take down the strongest, mightiest empire in the region. They're going to have to trust that this is going to happen. So let's just look at a couple of verses very quickly in uh, parts three through 20. In verse three, tell the, all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. The passage is very communal, very congregational. The idea is that everyone's supposed to get together. If you can't get in one, you go to someone's house 
If there are too many people in your house, you go to someone bigger house, it's that you get together. No matter what you are, a big family, small family, you get with somebody, you either have people come to your house or you go to someone's house and you get to where there's a lamb. Again, the idea that this lamb is going to do something. And then verse seven, again, a lamb that is supposed to be perfect is what they're supposed to take. And then they take this perfect lamb and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So they're supposed to take this lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, and take the blood of this lamb and sprinkle it and trust that that will be enough to save them. Who does that sound like? When John the Baptist cousin of Jesus' job, his, his, his purpose in life was to get people ready for Jesus. In John 1, when they first come into contact with each other, John sees them far off and says, when he, say, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're seeing right here in Exodus the beginning of the understanding of the rituals and sacrifice system that God was going to put in place for us to look to his second coming, to, his, to Christ's coming. And we're seeing even here, John, going back, there's other passages where he was talking from, but this is the beginning of all that. That this lamb, perfect spotless lamb, its blood was going to save them by God doing something around it. And then we see verse 14. It's a whole passage on leaven. This day for you will be a memorial day. You shall keep it as a fast to the Lord. Throughout all your generations and statutes forever, you shall keep it as a, f- a feast. This is introducing now here uh, in verse 14, the introduction of the feast of the unleavened bread. And this is a feast, so the, the event's gonna happen tomorrow. And then what's supposed to happen is, uh, is they're supposed to then, for, for, as they remember this celebration in the years to come, the whole week after, you keep leaven out of your house. The idea is that when you make dough, you put leaven in it to, to rise, and you didn't have leaven in it because they were, they were going to be leaving in a hurry. But what they were told to do was to go through their houses. This is how they're going to remember in the future, to go through their house the week after and get all the leaven out. Well, leaven is more like a dust. It's a powder. Have you ever tried to sweep powder? That whole week of them going through the house, it literally says with, they would take, the tradition would be they'd take feathers and go into the corners. The idea being, the concept was supposed to communicate that there's no way they could actually get all the leaven out of their house, but it had to leave the house. Leaven is used as an analogy for sin. Sin must be dealt with, but we cannot deal with it. So right here in the middle of God giving instructions, Moses giving instructions of what to do, there's this weird stop where they're breaking and talking about this feast of unleavened bread. And what I love about that is that the the, the sinner that we're seeing in the middle of all this, again, is the concept of sin coming back, that there's something that we must remember in the midst of all this, that sin is at the root of so much. Sin leads to death. The Passover leads to life. And being reminded right here, right now, of the importance of knowing what needs to be removed from their lives. 
In 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, the Apostle Paul, again, is talking uh, to his congregation, and, and, and sin has entered in uh, into the church, and Paul's addressing the sin in the church, and this is what he says, cleanse out the old leaven lump that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So again, you see them bringing this back to deal with how we're supposed to see ourselves and how, see, how we see Christ in all of it. The only way, once yeast has entered, once leaven has entered into the dough, all you can do with it is throw it away. You have to start afresh. Christ came to do that. That's what sin does, but it must be removed from us. The problem with sin is that it's everywhere. And we need a solution to this problem. So what are they told to do? Going back to that question. They aren't just to become a people. They are to become a people marked by belief in God's word. They don't understand exactly how this is going to save them and deliver them out of Egypt. But now they become a people. What's going to set them apart is their faith in the word of God. What they are trusting in is the word of God right here. We've already seen, if you read the passages here, God, we already know for a fact that God, through these plagues, can distinguish between the homes of the Egyptians and the homes of the Hebrews. The, the painting of the, the blood isn't necessary. God's already proven that. What he's asking them to do is trust his word. So just like the first question I asked was, who do you belong to? The second question I'm asking is, what is God's word asking you to do by faith? We are to become a people marked by our trust and faith in God's word. They aren't putting their faith in that lamb. They're putting their faith in what God said he's going to do through that lamb. So now we move on to the next part of the passage. Again, to me, we're coming now to the verses that I think sum up Exodus very well. Again, we ask what is happening? What are they to do? Why are they to do this? Let's read. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed down and worshiped. We have a problem of spiritual amnesia. It's a problem we are fighting. When we lose our temper and our patience at our kids, we've forgotten God's word. When we look at the finances we've been given and become selfish and self-centered with that, we forget the power of God's word and the direction of our life. When you think about our sexual identity from pornography to, to other things. So much sin is at the root of all that and the way sin works in us is that it absolutely causes us to forget God and his word. And we reject, turn away from his word and do exactly what we see in Exodus 32. We might not build a literal golden calf, but our actions and our hearts in essence do the same. We're not supposed to read that passage and say, I would never build a golden temple that makes a golden calf. That makes no sense. You're supposed to say that I would do the same thing in my own context. I do that. 
and forgetting God is what causes that. Verses 26 to 28, the question is asked, when the children say, what's going on here? You are to tell them something, something wonderful, something powerful. What are we to do? We're to remember in such a way that we are proclaiming to the world around us. We're not just supposed to remember how we're celebrating it. What I mean by that is, when the children ask, what are we doing? You're not supposed to say, we're doing this, we're, we're celebrating this, the leaven thing and the bread and all this. We're doing this because we're Jewish. That's not the right answer. When we think about, when we celebrate Christmas or Easter, if we focus on the rituals and the things we do to celebrate it, we are guilty of violating this passage just like they would be. What they're supposed to do here is when, when someone asks, when the next generation asks, why are you doing this? You don't say we do this because we believe. We say we do this because this is what God did. This reminds us of when God literally delivered us, literally brought about plagues, literally protected us and fed us. Why? Because the next generation will not have experienced that firsthand for themselves. And so now he's instituting a way to remember, not just for the sake of itself, but to remember God himself. What makes communion a powerful sacrament? Not if it's done in beautiful words and elegance. Not if the bread and the the juice tastes great. What makes it great is if we remember the life and death and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 26. And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What makes it powerful is that it's reminding us that Jesus literally died and his body was broken and he literally shed blood. It's not how do I take the bread or when should I drink the juice? It's what it's reminding us of, that he literally did this. We're supposed to pass it along. Psychologists have proven that in a, in a court of law, one of the most powerful moments in a court case is when the eyewitness comes up and says, I saw him do it, right? She did it. Well, psychologists have proven that humans are horrible eyewitness accounts. They can disprove that so many times that we don't actually remember what it was we saw. And we see here in Exodus, God saying, you're not going to remember what you just saw. And so we're going to create a system of things to remind you, no, this is actually what I saw. So I don't mess up telling the next generation what it is I saw. Why are we to do this? We are to do this to pass along the faith to the next generation. Exodus is about people coming out, but not just coming out of slavery. They're coming out of slavery to proclaim to the world that you're all under slavery and sin, but you're only Hope is in Jesus Christ. Your only hope is in God. Without God, you're under slavery. With him, you find salvation. Their job was to come out and to proclaim that and how they remember that to the world around them. God gives us the law, his 10 commandments in Exodus, the tabernacle, so we can know him better. But for me, when I think about what's the heart of Exodus, 
It's in that passage when God is saying, when your kids ask, what happened? What are you going to tell them? Do you remember what actually happened? Are you forgetting to tell them? Are you afraid to tell them? Are you going to tell them that God, the one true God, saved us? John 5, 46, Jesus was teaching and says this about himself. If you believed Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. Jesus even says when Moses was writing this, Moses didn't know this, but Moses was writing about Jesus Christ. So how do we forget? How do we forget? I think we forget because we focus on the wrong things in our faith. We focus on the wrong things, the ceremonies, the rituals, the words, the, the language, the, the habits, the works. We focus on the wrong thing. And I think, why do we forget? I think we forget because we lose sight of what it is we're here to do. We lose sight of the future, of what we have in God. So how do we remember? We remember by focusing on the right thing, by focusing on Jesus Christ and what he did. Again, why do we remember? For the next generations, we remember in a way to proclaim. If the way you're remembering Jesus Christ isn't proclaiming that people need to know him, then you're not remembering him in the way he wants to be remembered. If the Israelites were remembering the Passover in a way that wasn't communicating, you need to find salvation in this God, they weren't remembering in the right way. And that is the way God wants you to remember your salvation, and that's the way he wants you to pass it on to the next generation. The best way, the only way, the best way to remember who God is is to know him personally. And the only way we can know Jesus Christ personally is putting our faith in him and following his word. Exodus is about coming out of slavery to proclaim to the world salvation is only found in God. Who do you belong to? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are imperfect. And this message reminds us that that's why you had to come to us. Lord, please, please help us hear that you came to save us and that the world needs to know you. Lord, help us to remember in such a way that it proclaims to ourselves and to the world around us that you are real and that you have come. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please stand now to sing this final song.